0: So what do you think? Do you want to do you want to talk about fire, conflagration, fire? Sure. Yeah. I mean, conflagration is is a very powerful word, and it is and it is fire. So it's the same it's the same thing. Fire, of course, brings you into people getting fired, <laughs> and yeah. you know the kind of uh, things that get you fired, like being aggravated or yelling at your boss or stuff like that. Yeah, looking here at the definition
1: in the dictionary about uh, intense, one of the use of, uh, meanings of calm is intense, or in- intensive, and then of course flagare is to burn, and it says a big destructive fire, big destructive fire, it's the only definition of the word.
0: Yeah, it's a very powerful image, it's like being in a place where, where the fire is all around you and there's no escaping it.
1: Yeah, it seems impossible to fight. It
0: seems com- completely out of hand.
1: Yeah, completely out of it, control. And I'm helpless. And if I'm lucky, I survive, and you know, or maybe I don't. But it, there's really a sense of nothing I can do uh-huh. to get control back, or uh, to because it is. It's just it's too big. It's out of control. The destruction has to be accepted, whatever it is, and see what's left standing at the end of the day. It's fearful. Fire. I was thinking of that old movie, Quest for Fire. Mm. Uh, made by the
0: French director many years ago. The Neanderthal-type men went out on this quest, and I don't know if you recall it. Uh, I remember seeing the movie title, and I don't think I went to see it.
1: Yeah, it uh, it was interesting in some ways. These three guys go on a a quest because they they have fire in their camp, but the fire goes out. Somebody's going to go out and look for fire. Mm. So these three guys volunteer to go out of their tribe and go walking until they can find something literally that's burning and bring a piece of it back. Whoa. So the fire of the tribe can be kept going. And it was it was some rainstorm or somebody fell asleep and wasn't paying attention to keeping the fire going, which was one of the roles. And uh, so that's what, what started the movie off. And then they wind up going into different territory and encountering wild animals. And it has a scene where some rather poorly made up elephants are supposed to represent the mastodons, you know, big furry hairy creatures. <laughs> yeah. and, and then the elephants would walk and the, and the coverings would kind of flap back. You could see where the corners were stitched together on their leggings. <laughs> but they were sincere in their effort. And, and there's some humorous asides but then then they wind up stumbling into the territory of another tribe. Well, actually, they they come across these sort of vagabond guys who have had in their presence this young woman who's clearly a captive, who they're obviously treating roughly, and they wind up engaging these guys and and wind up killing them, the three or four ruffians, and saving the girl's life. Of course, they don't treat their women much better. (laughs) So the leader of the three men takes her for himself and has sex with her around the campfire and that sort of thing. But then they go further on their quest and they fall into captivity by the tribe that this girl is actually a member of. But because he saved her life, she helps him out in terms of keeping him and his two friends alive, even though they're they're in the custody of this other tribe of people. And one of the things that this tribe knows how to do and the, and the girl knows how to do is how to make fire rubbing little sticks, rolling the stick together quickly in your hands and with the tip of the stick against a piece of logs until it heats up enough to get a little bit of moss going and that sort of thing. And then they they develop, they start to have a relationship, this guy. and In the event, they wind up going back to their tribe, and they said, but you didn't bring fire back with you. Who is this woman? And then there's there's a, some competition going on with other male members of this tribe anyway. And while this guy is out on his quest, he's, his other guys are kind of taking over the leadership, and so he has to fight them. And then he tells the tribe, I can make fire. And so he sits down, although he didn't really get it completely together when he was in captivity of the other tribe. So he starts trying to roll the sticks in his hands and, and he can't quite get it to work. And everybody starts to laugh at him. And the the girl, then, who he brings back with him, girl sort of elbows her way in and said, Get out of the way, boys. She starts, she cooks up a fire right quick and everybody is, you know, <laughs> they become the high poobahs of the tribe. And his leadership is uh, reestablished through the efforts of the woman. <laughs> Wow, and she shows where the real creativity is in the, in the group. So it's an interesting in that regard. And then, like I say, there are some funniest sides with his the two sidekicks that went along with him on this quest, getting treed by a saber toothed cat, and anyway, funny things. <laughs> so but this it was, is uh, this
0: is the eighties, right?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's uh, that's actually precocious. I mean, for the the role of the woman, indeed it is. And of course,
1: and then later they're they're starting to make love, and and, and he sort of grabs her and kind of turns her around. To do, you know, doggy style was the only style they knew. And so in this final scene, she slowly turns around and gets them to try missionary position for the first time in human history. <laughs> and a whole other breakthrough thing, so. <laughs> if, uh, it was kind of a, it was a statement movie in some ways, but it was a, a matter of the necessity of fire and the ability to create it and control it is essential to life. Though so controlled fire is, of course, very essential to the survival of man in, in a number of ways. The uh, conflagration, on the other hand, of course, is this completely out of control fire. So it's a it's a very disorienting kind of an experience. Here's the thing I need that is now taken over my life, and it's out of it's out of control.
0: And there's nothing I can do except pray that it doesn't kill me. Yeah, just to bring the astrological context into to play, that that really speaks to the Pluto side of this. You know, the that the conflagration part of it. Yeah, because you've got the energy already with Mars, and and it's Mars is an Aries. I mean, is can there be yeah. anything more obnoxious? <laughs> Not likely. Yeah, then you know, it's square Saturn, so it's it's um, you know challenging authority and. Just burning down the house, basically. But then with, when you get Pluto in the act, it's like, you're not, we're not just burning down the house. We're going to burn down the whole goddamn city. Yeah, burn down the whole country, the whole order of men. Burn that down. So so I hasten to add, that I'm not making any comments about protest movements or anything. I'm talking about fire and the fires in California and and the kind of intensity that Pluto brings to these kinds of dynamics that by themselves by themselves they can be energizing and, and get you moving on stuff. But with Pluto involved, they turn into things that are totally out of control.
1: Yeah, the volcanic, it's like
0: the eruptions. Yeah. It just uh,
1: it just upends the whole ground that we stand on. Now the, what is out of control, what, what, what can do nothing in the face of the conflagration is the material dimensional identity that we carry. The man who creates and takes control of the fire And so it it serves him by burning in a certain way and defined in dimensional terms by dimensional physical identity. This Plutonian aspect of the current fires completely undoes that, leaving us where? Well, what stands is what can't be undone, can't be physically undone. There's that aspect of us, an essentialness of us, the being of us that can't be undone. It can't be thrown out of place because it's ever present continuously now. Every material, dimensional, limited, partial viewpoint of what we really are almost across the board can and is being undone by Pluto. And there's a, there's a certain abject horror in the hearts of men over not knowing what will come out of the conflagration of COVID. Or certainly if you live in a certain place, the existence of your home, your heart, your family, your life, it's a horror, having no control, having no idea what's afoot. And at these points, our eyes sort of look up as though seeking an answer from heaven or eyes look up and seek an answer from somebody who says they're from heaven. <laughs> so we're, we're very vulnerable at that point. Yeah. If you let that show you what you cannot lose, which is, which is your being, the being that always was, always will be through all the fires, through all the conflagrations, through all the eruptions, through all the digging up of the gardens or the plowing up of the fields that are planted again the next season with something different perhaps. That of you is untouched through all of that. And it's knowable and it understood or accepted or allowed to have its way with you increases the certainty of your, your continuous untouched identity. And everything short of that complete acceptance of that identity is limited in its likely time of existence in the face of these conflagrations, in the face of the Plutonian eruption.
0: Yeah, I, I would like to add something about understanding context. So the reason this works, when we, when, when we say that it's knowable, the reason that it works is because we are talking about consciousness. And at some yeah. point with this kind of practice, cause we're talking about the practice of translation here. Because everything that we've been talking about up to now is what we call sense testimony. It's the appearances that come to us, the things that come into our awareness and suggest to us that, that there's danger or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's in our consciousness. The fire is in our consciousness. Or in the case mm-hmm. of something like these astrological dynamics, this, the fire is in our unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where it is, that the unconscious is part of our consciousness. It's, you can't, it doesn't go anywhere else. And uh, so this a, a lot of what we talk about is, is making the unconscious conscious. So the point I'm getting at is that when you do this reidentification, where you understand your own beingness and how you, the beingness that you are is, is untouchable by something like fire or flood or whatever it have you in terms of your beingness, there's actually a secondary effect, which is that because there's only one consciousness, because consciousness is infinite and consciousness is all-inclusive, It includes the planet, it includes the galaxy, consciousness includes everything we know. Uh And because of that, then when we do our re-identification and come to the understanding of the all-presence of beingness, and that the all-presence of beingness brings with it the attributes of order and intelligence and uh, aliveness and nourishment and things like that, that's a step forward for the entire collective experience, and and it, it has the ability to make a change. So we're not helpless in the face of the conflagration when we when we come from that perspective. I see what you mean. Although it, you know, well, we may as well add that—that's for me anyway the only perspective in which you're not,
1: right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I and mean, the more you work with that, even when the when it looks, you know, darkest before the dawn kind of thing. I remember Mary Ritley doing her Sunday talks, and she had a favorite little phrase. I loved it a lot. She'd always say, "You know, it's always darkest, always." <laughs> <laughs> Just having fun with the, the little affirmations, but she's, but as much as anybody else who ever translated, knew that as you work with this, then you, you prove to yourself in the working that there is, as you're starting in consciousness, you're continuing as consciousness, and that, that consciousness came before, comes after, is in, is in the midst of all of this, and that it does do something. There's a wholeness that, as you said, this changes to some extent the whole of consciousness, that there isn't two, it's only one. The whole of consciousness that includes the fire, and our experiences of it, and all those other things, but are not caught in any of those things. Yeah, you're right. It's, even though it looks very dark, the more we practice, the more we know that despite the appearance, there is order, and there's wholeness, and soundness, and all that ever needs to be known of control exists in that understanding of consciousness, being conscious of consciousness, not under and back, but actually right in the midst
0: of the seeming conflagration, the seeming desperate place. And there's a great power when you call that forth. There's an incredible power when you stand in the midst of it and call forth what you know to be true in reality behind the appearance.
1: Yeah.